Okay, so welcome to Relational Care. Um, I'm going to open up in prayer and then we are going to get started. So, um, Father, we just thank you for this time and we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you, Lord, for what you have been doing in our lives. We can continue to thank you because you are good and a loving and a gracious God. I thank you for what you're doing um, in our lives and our spirits. And I thank you for what you're doing in this session. We ask that, Lord, you would continue to pour your word, continue to pour your life-giving word and spirit into our hearts, that we can be everything that you've created us to be. We ask that you would bless those um, that are not here with us right now. Uh, some of us, a uh, uh, couple, of us have um, loved ones that are sick. So we're praying in the name of Jesus for them, that Lord, you would raise them up from that sick bed and make them well and whole. We just thank you for what you're gonna do in our midst today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. So, yeah, isn't that rare? So, um, welcome to um, relational care. So one of the things that um, I have to apologize for was last week's um, teaching. I did not get that uploaded to the podcast until yesterday. Um, so some people have been looking for the podcast and so they want to be able to find it. So if you want to uh, catch up on what we have been teaching, um, it is called Relational Seeds. What are you planting? The podcast is located on the website, which is beyondthewedding.net, and you can find our relational, um, this relational session will be under Extraordinary Living. And so um, just really grateful to those um, that have been listening to us through podcasts. Uh, we've had a, a lot of uploads on this series the last couple of weeks. Um, really from, from different places, some people from New York. And so um, we're just really grateful and thankful um, and humbled that you would see something in what we are presenting um, that has some value to you. So um, as you guys see, I'm, there is something missing up here. And the something that's missing up here is my better half. Um, who is right now grappling with our um, <laughs> grappling with our grandson, and so um, pray for her when you when uh, that comes to mind. But uh, anyway, she's uh, she sends her love. So so let's get into it. So this is relational seeds. What are you planting? And this is session four. What are you saying to yourself? about God. What are you saying to yourself about God? So in this series, we've been talking about the power of words and the power of that words have um, not only written and spoken, but the power of those words have to not only affect our lives, but to affect the lives of others. And so the Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so we've made that statement before, 
And um, we can think of practical um, applications for that, even from standpoints of, you know, if somebody as a child was told that they were no good in math. And so that child took that word as a seed and planted it into their heart. And so they begin to fertilize that seed in their heart by saying, well, you know, I'm no good in math. And I've been told by that from several people. And so we've talked about a, um, a cycle that is very, um, that is very connected to that in the fact that what we think or say about ourselves becomes what we believe about ourselves. And what we believe about ourselves begin to dictate what our behaviors are. And those behaviors begin to um, deepen our convictions about what we say about ourselves. And so it becomes this vicious cycle that continues to happen. And what it does is it robs us of um, what God has intended for our lives. It robs us of vision. It robs us of passion. It robs us of a lot of things. Um, conversely, the other is true. If we speak life into our children, if we speak to our children and tell our children that you are wonderfully made and God has made you for a purpose and you have worth and you have value, and that we begin to even speak prophetically over our children, that we know that God is going to do great things in your life and you're going to, you're going to do great things for the kingdom, you're going to do great things for your society, and we begin to speak that into our, into our children's lives, those seeds planted can begin to be watered. And as that child grows, that child has that innate sense that they have worth and value. And so again, that feeds into that belief structure. So now they believe those things because those things have been poured into their lives. And as they begin to believe that, it begins to mimic their behavior. It begins to change their behavior. And as it begins to change their behavior, it deepens the conviction that, that they do have value, they do have worth, God has, has um, placed those things within them. And so again, we go back to this idea, life and death is in the power of the tongue. So conversely, we also, we talked about last week, um, and last week's uh, actually was two sessions. Uh, and we started out with, what are you saying to yourself about yourself? What are you saying to yourself about yourself? And we talked about it from a standpoint of 95% of the self-talk that's going on with you is going on on the subconscious level. So what seeds have been planted into your life that you're saying to yourself that's actually dictating your belief, your belief structures? Because last week we talked about, um, we talked about denial structures. Well, there are belief structures also that you can set up in your life. And so what things are running in your life that you believe subconsciously, right? I was never good, any good at this. People always told me my whole life I wasn't good at this or I wasn't good at that. So I'm not. You know, people told me when I grew up, um, I was one of these students where if I really applied myself, I could have been a really good student, but I wasn't because 
from my standpoint, I got A's in what I liked and I got D's in what I didn't like. And that's just the way I was, right? I just, and, but what I was told, what was interesting was my teachers would say, Joseph is very bright, but he's lazy, right? So I understand what they were trying to say. They were trying to instill that he needs to work harder, but they didn't say, Joseph, you're bright. So what you need to do is you need to try to apply yourself and be better. They said, you're lazy, right? So this became a seed that was implanted in me. And so I can remember many times even thinking to myself, well, I'm not really good at such and such. Or I don't do such and such because I'm lazy, right? And so what was interesting was when I grew up and started working, I worked very hard. And to this day, I work very hard. But one of the things that I didn't realize was I was doing that to counteract the seed that was implanted in me to say, you know what, you're lazy. So anytime I thought, well, you know what, I deserve to take a break. I was like, you know, I can't take a break. I got to keep going. Why did I have to keep going? Because I had to counteract that seed to me was if I take time off, I'm lazy. Okay. Seeds that were planted a long time ago didn't have the intent that that person had, but had major effects on my life. So how many of us have those same kinds of seeds running in our lives? And so one of the things that we say is you can't do anything about what you don't know about. So if we don't begin to, as we talked about last week, think about what it is that we really think about ourselves. What is it that we believe about ourselves to begin to get a good idea of what's going on inside us? Once we can do that, then we can do something about something we know about. But if we don't, we can't. Jean? I had an interesting conversation this week with Ron's family. And one of the brothers was talking about how the other brothers make jokes and talk. And it wasn't directed at him, but what they were saying around him impacted how he felt about himself based on their you know, it's it's um, this the, the voices that we tell ourselves are sometimes what we pick up from society as well, and we don't notice that we pick them up. So it's not the statements that are made aren't necessarily made directly to us, but are picked up around us, and it's that unwritten message. It's the unwritten message that African Americans need to be more careful, mm-hmm. especially around police, than mm-hmm. white Americans. Mm-hmm. It's the message that women have to work twice as hard mm-hmm. to get the same place that men are. Mm-hmm. It's, and it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Um, we pick up a lot of messages that are given to us, spoken, implied, or otherwise. Um, and we talked about that a few weeks ago in terms of for men. 
Um, I've been money, uh, running men's groups now for years and men have the hardest time bending the knee to Christ. And we have that because we live in a society that says that as a man, you don't show feelings, you don't cry, you don't, um, you pick yourself up by your bootstraps, right? You don't need anybody else. It's all about you, right? And we've had those from the womb, even before we're born, right? That is ingrained in us and that we've been brainwashed by it. And so when we get into relationships, when we have, happen, have to be open and vulnerable and communicate and share feelings, we're like, you know, there's no way we can do that. How can we do that when, first of all, we're in a society that said you don't do that? And second of all, that's never been modeled. Those kind of, those kind of traits have never been modeled. And so very many times we get into relationships and we have a hard time because we can't open up and be vulnerable because it's not been modeled to us. And again, as Gene was saying, these are things that have been said to us, have been demonstrated to us over and over and over again. The only way that that gets broken is that we realize it. We realize the lie that it is because as men, we have feelings. You know, I get hurt, I get frustrated, I get angry, I get everything else that anybody else does, right? But society says, you know, hey, don't do that. You know, we talked about a few weeks ago, the thing that, that men hear a lot, you know, big boys don't cry when you're little and you start crying, oh, no, 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 dry those tears. Now, if you're a woman, it's okay. But if you're a man, no, don't, don't do that. Big boys don't cry. Right. So what are we saying? Right. We've got those emotions. Don't show those emotions. Don't do it. Right. And then we get into relationship with our wives and our wives want us to be open and vulnerable. And um, we can't do that. And Pastor Greg is calling me right now. Why are you doing that? <laughs> you must not know that I'm in the mode of teaching a, teaching a class. Well, he's just going to have to leave a voicemail. So anyway, love you, Pastor, if you listen. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I have a question. Uh, is that more of like a defense mechanism that we teach our youth and our kids and our sons because we know how brutal middle school and high school is? And, you know, so we have to try to figure out a way to help them protect themselves from the elements that be. But then when we become adults and we become closer to God or, you know, other things that are going on, we become more conscious of ourselves. It, we need to unlearn those ideologies in order to get even closer to our true selves. It, it's, the, only, the only reason that I would say it's not I, it's not like that from the standpoint, it'd be one thing if we were doing that, which we shouldn't do anyway, but I'm just saying it'd be one thing if we did that intentionally, but we don't. Those are, those are human self-defense mechanisms that come up because we're hurt, 
right? So if I let my if I let my guard down, we can talk about it from a marriage relationship. If I let my guard down and I finally get to the point where I'm going to be open and vulnerable with my wife and I say, you know, I want to share something with you in terms of I've got some fears about being a husband. I have fears about being head of household. I have fears about just where my life is going. And my wife says, well, you're a man, you should be sucking it up. And you know, why are you saying that to me? Right? Okay. So that happens. What's the first thing that's going to happen? Defense mechanisms. Boom, boom, boom. Walls going to come up. What's going to be, what's going to happen the very next time that you feel that vulnerability? You're going to go, I'll go to the homeless bum on the street, but I'm not going to go to my wife because I know what happened the last time I went to my wife and I remember and that pain, right? I don't want to suffer that pain again, right? So we put those self-defense mechanisms. And I know exactly what you mean because I was bullied when I was in grammar school. So I came from, I grew up part of my time in Nigeria. And so when I came to go to school here, and people saw I was for I was African. So even from African African Americans, I was like, oh, you guys still live in huts, you swing from trees, are your best friends monkeys? You know what I'm saying? And so there was these things there. So they were very painful. Right? They were very painful. So what I had to do was I came up with my own defense mechanisms. So I did things to fit in because what I learned was this is what's going to be happening to me if I'm ever open and vulnerable. Just know I went through that too. And I was oh yeah, I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did because when you carry that <laughs> last, last name, name, you carry that last name. That's what's going to happen. So we put these defense mechanisms up. The problem with that is a lot of times then those defense mechanisms start running subconsciously, right? And so we don't realize it, right? We don't realize that we're still have those self defense mechanisms come up. So when we get into relationships with people, instead of being able to do this, right, we're here, right? And so we're very not trusting, and it takes a long time to build trust that I'm going to let you in, right, because of that. And so again, we have to be conscious of what are we thinking about ourselves, because that's the other thing, right? Those people saying those things planted within the heart, what now do I begin to say about myself about that? Because, because I grew up in Nigeria, am I now a second-class citizen? Am I now somehow another lower than my American counterparts, right? And somehow am I unworthy, right? So these things now begin to play. And I had those things go on for a long time until I began to say, wait a minute, what is it? What is it that I'm saying about myself? But the biggest thing is, what does God say about me? And we've said this before, the two most important things in your Christian walk is you have to know who God created you to be and who God really is. Because the issue is, regardless of what I even think of myself, because many times what I think about myself is incorrect when I look at it against the Bible. So I have to be able to look at the Bible and say, well, you know what? 
I may not, I may feel inferior. I may feel like a second class person. I may feel like I have no value, but God says he created me with worth and value. God says that he created me as his child. So now I have to bring that value in and I have to say, you know what? I'm thinking this, but this is not correct because this, the one that created me says that I'm this, this is correct. And now I begin to change my thinking. And when I change my thinking, right, I change my behavior. There is no way I should be standing up here because you know what? I didn't like people. I didn't. I didn't like people because of what people had done to me. And so when I came to Christ, the first thing I said was, God, I'll serve you as long as I don't have to deal with people. <laughs> Figure that one out. How are you going to pull that one off? Right? And God was patient. It's like, okay. But he had to do a work in me. Right? He had to do that. Well, he had to start breaking down those belief structures in me so that he can do in me what he envisioned in me since the beginning of the world. Right? And the same for all of us. Exactly. Right. Those things that run subconsciously, right? And I like what you were just saying about that because I think about when I was told that always, and everybody hear this, that how education is so important. You mm -hmm. got to get education. If you don't, you're not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. So when I look at the job that I have now and the position I have, mm -hmm. I can say, but God, mm -hmm. you know, that I'm here, mm -hmm. you know, despite, you know, what people say, but. I know that now, now that I have this position, but then sometimes those thoughts creep back in mm -hmm. when I'm in meetings mm -hmm. with executive management, and it's like, oh, am I worthy though? Mm -hmm. You know, because I'm sitting next to a person with a PhD mm -hmm. or their master's, mm -hmm. and I don't have that. Mm -hmm. You know, so I have these doubts sometimes, like, but then I have to go back to, but God, you know, you allow me to get mm -hmm. here, you know, so I am worthy, mm -hmm. even though I have these thoughts that they're thinking this and they're thinking that, and why is she, you know, but. It's still that, but God, you mm -hmm. know, how he can bring us up from that if mm -hmm. we just trust him and allow him. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I like what you're saying, you assume that they're thinking what they're thinking, mm -hmm. right? Again, that is our, what does that say about ourselves? See what I'm saying? There's a place in ourselves that's saying, oh, you know, this is what these people are thinking, which they might not at all. They may be thinking the opposite. And even if they are thinking, it doesn't mean that it's going to line up with God. Well, exactly. But it goes back to capturing that thought. What is it that I'm thinking about myself, right? Because we want the reality, right? We want the reality of who we are and who we've been created to be. All right, so I'm going to jump into today's teaching, uh, which is, as we said, what are you saying about, what are you saying to yourself about God? So when I was looking at this, um, what we say to our God, what we say to ourselves about God, really is normally shaped from. When I wrote this, I said four information sources, but there's actually five. But before um, before I go into that, I'll ask you guys, what information sources do we get? When we think about God, where, where are we getting our information sources about God? Give me some ideas. Where do we get those? Where do we get our information sources? Okay. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we should. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Experiences. Yeah. The one that I didn't put down was the world. And I thought about that this morning in prayer and I was like, okay. I was like, yeah, we don't want to put that one down. You know, because the world's view of God is very twisted and very distorted. Some in the church, their view of God is very twisted and very distorted. But anyway, let's go through these. So I have four information sources. One, what people have said or taught about God. Two, what we believe to be our personal interaction with God. What we believe to be our personal interaction with God. Three, our interaction with people who we believe to be Christians. And four, what the Bible says about God. So each of these has pros and cons to them. So let's take a look at it. Let's take a look at the first one. What people have said or taught about God. So there's, the, on the pro side, there are many good Bible teachers out there on TV and radio. The depth of biblical teaching has never been greater in the history of the world. You have access to the Bible, to teaching, to preaching, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just unbelievable. The, the, the God's word is just spreading. He's taking the internet and he's spreading it through the four corners of the world, right? And so it's a very interesting and a powerful time to see what God is doing. And so that is a, that is a way that we get information um, about, about God through that media. But there's a con to that. With so much teaching comes so much error. Not everyone is teaching the true gospel with pure motives. And not everyone is teaching the truth according to scripture. So I have scripture here, um, 2 Corinthians 2.17. And Paul talks about, he says, um, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Now, without naming any names, I'm not going to, but there is all kind of teaching on the Internet and TV um, that actual heresies being taught um, in error. Everything you can imagine is being taught. And what's interesting is the amount of people that are actually falling for it. Right? Because again, not everybody that hangs a banner up and says they're a Christian is actually Christian. Right? And so there's a lot of error going on out there. And so we have to be careful about what we are listening to and what we are accepting. We have to be like the Bereans. The Bible said the Bereans 
You couldn't get anything past the Bereans. Because the, the first thing Bereans are going to do, they're going to go to their word. And they're going to read the scripture and say, well, so-and-so said such and such. And so I got to check it out. I, had, I saw a teaching one time where this variant, if I said his name, you would know it automatically. Very famous. This person has a multi-multi-million dollar worldwide ministry. He's on TV like you would not believe. This man taught that at one time God was a man because of the way our hands are designed. Now, if you can go to the Bible and show me anywhere that God ever said that at one time he was a man, I'll give you my house free. Okay. This is a and this is a this is a this is a man and his wife that hold crusades all around the world. And when he holds those crusades, his crusades are packed. Packed. But he has a theology that man, at, that God at one time was a man. Right? You can't believe everything you hear. And that's why you got to know your word. Because if not, you're going to be lining up like the 10,000 people that line up every time going, oh man, he's sent from God. And hey, I'm not, I'm not saying that he's not a Christian. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that because I don't know. I wasn't there when he accepted Christ. Okay. But I do know that men sometimes get really filled up on themselves. And sometimes when you're in front of a crowd of people and people are chanting your name and people are saying how great you are and people are saying all those things about you, sometimes you kind of fly off the handle a little bit. Sometimes you can get a little bit bigger. Right. That's what we talked about Romans 12. Three last week, and he said, do not think of yourself any higher than you ought, that you ought to think of yourself with sober thinking. Because the issue is, I don't care how big his ministry is, I don't care how many multi-millions he's got, I don't care how many jets he's got, that's another thing we can talk about, but I'm not going to go there. I don't care about any houses he's got, I don't care about how many cars or boats that he's got. Guess what? Paul says, I'm just a servant of Christ. Right? And a servant of Christ means don't get too big on yourself. Don't get too high up on yourself. Because guess what? You're just a servant. I can take you down tomorrow just as quick as you came up here today. And if you keep teaching that stuff, I am going to do that. That's just my own plug in there. So anyway, let's go on. Okay, the second one is what we believe to be our personal interaction with God. The Bible is full of personal interactions with God. God has communicated with his people personally since the beginning of their creation, and he does it today. He communicates with us in various ways, dreams, feelings, impressions, and his word. He wants and desires intimate relationship with his children, right? Which is true, right? God created us. God is a relational being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he created us for a relationship. That's why we're here. If anybody didn't know why we're here, that's why we're here, right? Because he wanted relationship. He wanted to create a race of people, mankind, that he could have relationship with. Okay? So he wants that. 
He's always desiring that. He's always, the word is, he's always, he says that you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. So God is saying, you know, I'm not trying to hide myself. You know, you don't have to climb all the way up to the Himalayas and try to find me, right? I'm as, I'm as close as your heart if that's what you desire, okay? But there's a con to that. When we only rely on our personal interaction, we can become confused and begin to interpret our own feelings and beliefs and opinions as being from God and not ourselves. This leads us to create a God in our own image and does not allow us to enter into a true relationship with the one true God. Second Timothy 3, 16, 17. I won't read that. You can read that in your own. And I've met many people. I've met many Christians that some of the stuff that comes out of their mouth, it's like, uh, I don't know what God you're serving, but I don't think he's the same God as the one in the Bible. Especially when I hear stuff like guys would come up and say, well, you know, I've got this prophetic sense from God that I need to leave my wife and go and search for this new woman that I just met on the internet. Because it felt good, it felt right, and I know God loves me and God wants the best for me and God's always in my corner. So I know that since this is what I want, I believe that that's what he wants for me. Right? That's not the God of the Bible. That's the guy who's got an issue with lust. If we're just gonna be called what it is. Right now, he may be having some real big issues in his marriage. He may have whatever. Okay, but there are many times that we that people will take that even what they've heard. Right. They haven't gone to the word. They haven't understood the God of the Bible. They haven't understood his character and nature. And so they start taping this and they're like, well, I've got a vision from God. And that vision is I should just like I should sue my neighbor. I should sue my neighbor because my neighbor has been a real big pest to me. And his tree fell on my backyard and I couldn't stand that guy from the beginning. And I need to sue that guy. Let's talk about that one. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Jean. Let's talk about that one. Okay? Because I've attended a church like that. Okay? And don't get me wrong, because let's put this in context. All right? Each of us have a gift, a talent. We should be serving the Lord in the various ways that he has given us to serve, okay? But I got caught up in that. I was like, you know what? I should be at the church all the time, all the time doing whatever I need to do 
And I was at the church when I should have been at my son's ball game. I was at the church when I should have been serving my wife. I was at the church when I should have been at a friend's house helping him through some stuff. I was at the church all the time because I was doing the Lord's work. And I didn't understand what that meant because what I thought that meant was I'm going to be at the church all the time. When the doors are open, I better be there. And I was there when the doors were closed. The doors were closed and we were in there working all night, all day, all weekend. And don't get me wrong, sometimes that is necessary. But if it becomes this idea of the more I work, somehow or another, the closer I get to God, right? Our theology is jacked up. Because like Gene says, we are ministers. So I'm a minister in my home to my children. I'm a minister to my wife. I'm a minister to my neighbor across the street. I'm a minister to my coworkers, right? This whole idea that we pick ourselves up and we park ourselves in a church, right? Read the word. That's not what it says. It says the church is here, pastors, teachers, right? Evangelists equip you for the works of service out there. Out there in the boardroom, right? On the fire truck, wherever God has placed you, we are in the church to equip you to go out there to be, as Paul says, ministers of reconciliation. As God, if as if God were speaking reconciliation through you. But when we get this idea of I gotta be at the church all the time. Right? And there have been many, there have been, I've heard a story, then this is a sad story. I heard a story of a pastor that had the same view. It was like God has given me this ministry and I'm gonna run after, I gotta run after this ministry with everything I got, because this is what God has given, this is what God wants, and, and this is what I'm gonna do. Well, he did that, and he was never at home. So the ministry that he actually should have had to his wife didn't happen. And his wife began to resent God because he was never there. He was out there doing the work of the Lord, and he had two boys. The two boys never saw him. And the boys not only resented him, they resented God. So now here's the thing. What kind of testimony is that when people in my own house not only despise me, but they despise God? What kind of testimony is that? So the sad part about it is he has a heart attack or whatever. He dies. Right? His boy's going to urinate on his grave. That's how much contempt they had of him. Where's the, where was the ministry to God? Your first ministry is always at home. But it's not your exclusive ministry. It's not. Because there's too many people that go the other side too. It's yeah. Everywhere and yeah. I don't need I, fellowship and I don't need I, to work out. I, I, I agree. But I still say, I agree what she's saying. I'm not discounting. But I still say, your first mini, I say your first, not your only. Your first, but not your only ministries at home. 
Because here's the, let me just finish this, Johnny. Because here's the thing. God says you be known by your fruit. If I really want to know how your ministry is, let me talk to your spouse. Let me talk to your neighbor. Let me talk to your children. Let me talk to your coworkers. Right? That's how I'm going to know your true ministry. John? Well, I was just going to say, but we can do all things through Christ, though, right? And I'm saying that mm -hmm. to say that, talking about, you know, just always being there in church and, and things like that, we that have some knowledge of the word can put the word together to the point to where it fits what we want to do, not what's right. Oh, yeah, I'm getting what we want okay. Stop reading my mail because so I'm getting wants, to that. <laughs> our wants override mm -hmm. what's right. Yep. When it comes down to mm -hmm. those types. Yep. Yep. I'm getting to that. Hold tight. Question? Oh, see. I, I'd love to add something to what John said. It's been really interesting, this community financial peace ministry. I've learned a lot. Still learning. I have a ton to learn. I've heard a lot. It's amazing phenomenal. Because have couples come up to me and say, we know God told us we need to buy a bigger house, bigger land, and go into more debt. Or we need to go on this trip, God told us. And we ask them, have you counseled? Have you talked to anyone about that? No, 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 God told us that's what we need to do. They go into massive debt, mm -hmm. and, and the results are devastating. Mm -hmm. Many times it, it ends up in bankruptcy. It mm -hmm. ends up in the yeah. Exactly. And I, I think, too, we have to be clear on when the Lord is speaking to us, what he's saying to us. Mm -hmm. You know, because I remember I used to love doing home organization, and I would try to give and dab in the Lord's house or whatever. So... One day I was in my guest, but I remember vividly, and I, I saw the Lord speaking to me, you will stand before people speaking. Mm -hmm. So immediately I'm like, my home organizational workshop, and I started mm -hmm. doing them, and next thing you know, I was going down to Martinez trying to get mm -hmm. my license and, mm -hmm. and my mm -hmm. name and everything, and I was standing in line, and the Lord was like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I was yep. like, well, I got to get my, my name and my mm -hmm. business and all this mm -hmm. stuff, you know, that. He's like, that is not what I meant mm -hmm. when I said standing for people speaking mm -hmm. and talking. Mm -hmm. That was teaching in the church. Mm -hmm. But that's why I'm just saying we have to be mm -hmm. clear yeah. when we're hearing the Lord yeah. what exactly is he saying yeah. and not run with it because that's what we want to do. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We have to be very careful. I, that's happened to me before also. I remember when I first got saved, I had this, I had this, uh, this ministry where I made these plaques. Right. And I told you I didn't like to I didn't want anything to do with people. Right. So I just knew for sure that this ministry was what God called me to, because I could sit in my garage and I can make these plaques and I could ship them all over the world. And I could I don't and I could be spreading God's word. And I wouldn't have to talk to one person. Amen. <laughs> so, you know, God is not one to laugh in your face. But I'm sure God was just like laughing, going, "What is this boy doing?" <laughs> I'm just gonna let I'm just gonna let this let him run this out of his system, and then we'll get on with the true work. 
<laughs> so he let me run with that fantasy for about three years. Yeah. And a lot of money. And after that, I was like, you know what? Maybe I didn't hear God correctly. <laughs> you know? So, but you know, he's good. He's good and gracious. Boy, he just, he, I'm sure there's a lot of time God look at us and just laugh and just go, wow. You know, I love them to death, but boy, they are a trip. They are a trip. Andrew, you gonna say? And and just um, picking up what you're saying, that yeah, maybe the Lord did call you to get this land and get this, you know, stuff. But He didn't say right now. Mm-hmm. He didn't say do it right now because right now you're gonna be in debt to do it, mm-hmm. or right now you're gonna be, or right now there's not the people in place that need to receive it, mm-hmm. or right now. But He's yeah, He might have called you to that. But he's building you up to it. Mm-hmm. He'll give you a, he'll give you a something to look forward to, and then something to look mm-hmm. at. Yeah. It's kind of the, the way that God's been revealing stuff to me. Mm-hmm. He'll give me something to look forward to. I got a ministry that I'm looking forward to mm-hmm. and getting ready to. But look at this right now mm-hmm. and focus on this. Right. And that'll come. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, as his people, we are we are very impatient. You know, we want if God gives us a word, we want that today, and we'll go into debt to get it if we have to. Oftentimes, we don't realize we're actually in the middle of moving out. Because when God gives us a word, we put our picture on it instead of what God is doing. I mean, God told us we were going to have a bed and breakfast. So we almost moved Syracuse, New York. Why Syracuse? Because that's where our job was. That's where bed and breakfast Financially, was. it made perfect sense. Mm-hmm. The place was perfect. Mm-hmm. It just didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You weren't hearing neon signs or, you know, this is or, mm-hmm. you know, no, don't. And it wasn't until two years later that we're making the bed upstairs in the house that we're, we currently have. And God said, you realize this is the bed and breakfast mm-hmm. that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Two years later, mm-hmm. so, we've already been operating, and we've mm-hmm. already been doing that for two or three yeah. years. Like, yeah, and how many people have you guys blessed through that little bed and breakfast up there, too? But bed and breakfast is a business, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a business, and you have a home, mm-hmm. and, you... and you do it this way. Mm-hmm. And God's saying, But I even, I even think about it though, in terms of just as you're speaking, that just, just thinking how how much more eternal value than the the bed and breakfast you have right now we had an idea and that's we get ideas what are we telling ourselves what are the pictures what are mm-hmm. the expectations yeah you know the expectations is you know if i was in a happy marriage my spouse would x y or z because mm-hmm. that's what i saw that's mm-hmm. what uh, my expect expectation mm-hmm. is that's what the church teaches mm-hmm. that a wife does this and mm-hmm. a husband does this and mm-hmm. if you don't have that type of relationship then you start making these judgments mm-hmm. we, we frame our we frame god's word in our expectations mm-hmm. instead of letting god's word reframe our expectations mm-hmm. perfect and that leads me into number three um our interaction with people with whom we believe to be Christians. So the pros, godly and mature Christians are a central part of our Christian walk. God can use godly men and women to come alongside us, encourage us in the faith, give us a godly wisdom and perspective that is invaluable and priceless. 
He can speak, he can also speak through them, enriching our lives in deep and meaningful ways. The cons are, the church is a hospital where sick come to be healed and made whole. We are all in different places in our walk and in different places in our healing. Some get stuck in different places in their lives and some wound others in the church because of their wounds which they are unable or unwilling to confront or allow others to help them confront. You guys get that? I see a lot of puzzling faces looking at me, right? And I think we've all run into that, right? Some of us are that, right? I've seen many people walk away from the church because of the actions of people in the church. I've seen others put their faith in people rather than Christ. So some of you remember if you've been here at this church long enough when we had the pastoral change and our pastor left and I was sitting in my living room with a gentleman that was pretty active in the church at that time. And so he said, well, you know, uh, you know, the church is going through transition and upheaval and I didn't like that the pastor left and this and that. And. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to continue to go to that church because I don't like, you know, what has happened and this and that. And so I, he went on and on and listen. I said, so okay, I have one question for you. I said, are you following the pastor that just left, or are you following Christ? I said because your same brothers and sisters that you say you love are still at the church. Your same brothers and sisters that are hurting the same way that you that you are, are still at the church. The church still needs to continue. There are many in the church that need comforting and encouragement to move on to the next thing that God has for us. So my question to you is, are you following the pastor or are you following Christ? His answer came several months later when he left the church. Um, I have another experience with, and I'm sure we all have these ex stories, with um, a guy I used to work with at work. And uh, what's interesting about him is he would always come in with things that are very derogatory toward Christ. So he used to love this, wear this shirt with a cross and then with a circle and then a red line through it. And so, um, you know, interesting guy. So, you know, right? I'm a minister where I'm at. And so God's, God's love is to be poured out on everybody, regardless of who they are or what their belief is. So I got to talk to him for a while, and he was like, yeah, you know, he goes, I used to be a Christian, and I almost fell on the floor. I was like, because I thought for sure, the shirts he was wearing, it was like, he could have been 20 miles within a church or Christianity. He goes, no. So I used to be in a church. So I was very active in the church. He said, there's nothing about the Bible that you could tell me that I don't, ever, I don't already know. So I was like, whoa. 
there's a, there's a story here, boy. <laughs> so one day I was just like, if you don't mind, tell me what happened. What, what went on? And he said, I was part of a Bible-believing church, and we were, we were Holy Ghost calling down, oil slinging. I mean, we were, we were it. I mean, we were, we were it. And he said, a couple things happened. He said, one, he said, my sister came down with a brain tumor. And he said, we went to that, we went to that um, hospital and we threw war, holy water and oil and we prayed. We had 24-hour vigils. And he said, you know, at the end of all that, my sister still died. And he said, so this is the God I'm supposed to believe in? And then after that, he was like, you know, I started seeing something. He said, what I was reading in the Bible wasn't lining up with the people that's supposed to be Christians. He said, because the more I started seeing people in the world, he said, the people in the world actually seem to be more honest than the people that were in church. And he said, because of those two things, you can't convince me that there is a God. So I used to believe in one, but there's not one anymore. So now he's totally anti-God. So he and I have a good relationship. He doesn't, he respects me. He doesn't taunt me. You know, we, we, we have a good relationship, right? But what happened? The people that were supposed to represent Christ weren't. Our lives have to be, we have to have the fruit. And that doesn't mean we have to be perfect, right? Because Lord knows, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to present perfect to anybody. What I am trying to present is integrity. Is integrity. We have got to be people that are living their lives in a way that people can see that we've got some integrity, Gene. Um, I appreciate everything that you're saying, and I want to add one more thing, especially earlier on in my walk, people of the church would be, oh, well, God told me this, and God told me that, and oh, well, you know, just jam off scriptures with the, with the address, and if you don't memorize scripture, then, you know, you're not being a good Christian, and it was very, very hard for me to feel like I was growing in Christ because I don't audibly hear God. Mm -hmm. I had to learn how God talked to me. Mm -hmm. It wasn't to mm -hmm. me. So, so, mm -hmm. the, so the words that were used within the church mm -hmm. and good, caring people, mm -hmm. their relationship with God, mm -hmm. I didn't measure up mm -hmm. and I wasn't growing mm -hmm. and I didn't... Mm -hmm. Uh, which was all a lie. Exactly. You know, it was all a lie, but because... It was all a judgment. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like, and I know the word. Mm -hmm. I might not be able to tell you exactly what the mm -hmm. what the verse and the address is to it, because um, even verses that I had memorized for years and spoke 20 times a day, 
what is that again? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I, it's not how I work, but I had to learn to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. But the church put me in a position where it was easy to feel mm -hmm. like I wasn't a Christian, like right. I wasn't a growing Christian, right. and I didn't have a relationship with God because I did not have the same affect. You know, I didn't, you know, being in a Pentecostal church, I didn't jump up and down and fall down and, you know, it's like, yeah, that was really cool. That was my effect, you know, and it's like, no, man, you just, it's like, no, it was cool, you know, so. Let me get you by the head. <laughs> That's the other one that we like to do. Oh, you're not going down? It'll be helpful. But anyway, but sorry. Sorry. I mean, it's really, it's, I wish this Christianity thing could be a 12-step program because then it would be a real easy parameter yeah, that you're walking in the Lord in X, Y, and Z. But that's not the way the Lord that's works. He works with each of us individually. Exactly. And we need to confirm and walk in balance. Exactly. Right. And we need to learn how we are uniquely created. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because here, here's something I want to, I want to speak to and then we're going to we're going to finish up. Yes, we should study and know the word. Absolutely. Because as we talked about here, if you don't know the word, you won't be able to recognize error. And we have to keep doing it. Exactly. It's not a one time. We have to be in the word. Here's the thing that I think people miss. Because you read the word and because you know the word doesn't mean that you will be transformed. We automatically think that, but that's not how it works. I'll give you an example. Several years ago, Leona and I had a couple over to our house. The man was a PK kid, right? So this man was amazing. You could get a book of the Bible and ask him, and he could literally almost recite to you the whole book. And you're like, wow, this guy, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like Paul, Paul would like come back and go, uh, let this guy write the New Testament because this guy is like, right? Because this guy, I mean, he's like, there's only one problem. This guy emotionally and verbally abuses his wife. And his wife had a long conversation with my wife. And so, what's going on? How can you know that much scripture? How can you memorize that much word? And you are emotionally and verbally abusing your wife. How is that happening? Here's the issue. You can read the word, but you better let the word read you. You can read the word, but you better let the word read you. Because sometimes we get in our head, right? Oh. I, I'm going to impress some people here because I'm just going to quote you like first book of Hebrews. 
and then you're going to look at me and say how holy and spiritual I am. Right? Because you can put all that stuff in your head. But exactly, if that word's not reading you, if that word doesn't come back to you and say, you know what? Yeah, you know all that scripture, but you are, you got some issues, you got some wounds, you got some anger issues, you got some emotional issues, and you're taking it out on your wife. And what you need to do is you need to start repenting. And what you need to do is start doing some work to finding out what healing that I need, speaking of the Lord, to be able to do in you. Because, yeah, you know a lot of word, but the word's not reading you, and you're not allowing the word to read you. So here's my thing. I'd rather read one scripture and study on that scripture for a year and have it transform my entire life than to read the Bible from front to back and I'm still angry at my neighbor. I'm still down talking my kids. I'm still angry. I'm still bitter. I'm still unforgiving. Oh, but I, I, I read the word every night and I pray every day and I give my tithes and I'm standing up in the worship center and I'm singing those songs and I am all good. And Jesus is like, uh, no, you're not. No, you're not. The word's got to read us because that's where when Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's where that happens. The second part of that verse is, then you will know God's will. You will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And when I'm transformed, guess what? If I'm acting a fool with my neighbor, right? The Lord's going to say, you're acting a fool with your neighbor. And I'm going to be able to hear that. And guess what? Not only hear it, I'm going to take my behind across the street and, and um, apologize to my neighbor because I understand and can approve what God's will is. All right, we're gonna wrap up with this. What the Bible says about God. That's the other way we get information. The prose, the Bible gives us deep insight and revelation about God. It reveals his plans and purposes for mankind and those who have accepted his son and his finished work. Scripture also shows us God's character and nature it shows us his heart and his unfathomable and unconditional love for us. We've got to know the true character and nature of God. Because if you don't, most of us think of an angry, vengeful God that's got a nice big hammer just waiting. Just, just mess up. Just, just even a little bit. And I'm bring that hammer down on you so quick you won't even know what's happening. Right? How many of us have been thrown into the church? And I say thrown. Thrown into the church by fear. Yeah. Right? You better, you better, you, if you don't, there's a hell waiting for you and there's a big, there's a hot fire waiting for you. Right? I've been thrown in. But here's what God says. Perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. 
a vengeful God. Now, just 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 think logically. Let's just let's, let's just think logically. We don't have to have a degree with 42 PhDs behind it. We don't have to have all that. Let's just think logically. That same God says that I wish none would perish, but all come to repentance. You can't, you can't have it both ways. The same God that's ready to drop a hammer on you can't say that I wish that none would perish. That same God, if he's going to drop a hammer on you, why in the world would he waste one drop of his son's precious blood on the cross for you? Why? That, that, absolute, that don't make any sense. I could have my grandson up here and explain that to him at four years old. And he would go, Grandpa, that don't make any sense. That a God that's ready to drop a hammer on you is going to send his precious son to come die for you. It doesn't make any, that makes absolutely no sense at all. Now, at the same time, right? We live in a fallen world and God's like, you know what? Sin has to be judged. Sin has to be judged. It, 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 it can't work. Sin is spiritual cancer. That's what sin is. It's spiritual cancer. It can't survive in the body. It just can't. But here's my point, right? That that has to, that has to be judged because God is not only loving father, he's righteous judge. It has to be judged. But here's the thing. If this God was so out to get you, He'd have to send his son. He's going to say, okay, you know what? You're all judged. The day's going to come. Are you guys going to, you're all going to pay for it. So until that day, I'm just going to keep messing with you. I'm just going to keep jacking you up until that day when I jack everybody up. Right? If I'm in there, let me know. Because I'll just, I'll get right, I'll step down. But here's the issue. You have a God that says, okay, you know what? You made the choice. Now think of this. You, you made the choice. Your ancestors made the choice. You made the choice to turn your back on me. You made the choice to leave me. You made the choice to walk away from me. So I could just go, you know what? You made the choice. Hey, you paid the consequences. You made the choice. But a loving God says, okay, you made the choice, but I'm, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to give you a way out of that. I'm going to send my son to die at, for you so that all you have to do is accept him and his finished work on the cross, and you pass from death to life. I can't make it any easier than that. You got all these other religions, go up to the top of this mountain, pray for like 55 days, go in the, you know, rip your back to shreds, do all this other stuff, and maybe you might be somewhat good enough. God goes, I can't make it any easier than this. My son went and died for you. All you got to do is accept him and his finished work, and you pass from death to life, right? But we want to like, no, I want to come my way. I don't want to go this and that. So I'm just going to be real honest with you. The reason we don't come to Christ is because we want to do it our way. 
I don't want anybody, I don't want any deity telling me what I can and cannot do. The way I want to live, how I want to live, what I want to do. And the biggest problem with God is he wants to tell me how to live my life. And I don't want to have that going on. Now, the world won't tell you that that's the truth, but that's the truth. That's the truth right there. I want to live the way I want to live. Right. So many of us believe that love is all about happiness and feeling good and right. By God's own example, love involves pain. Love involves suffering. Mm -hmm. And we forget that. Mm -hmm. A loving God wouldn't allow this. Well, a loving God allow his own son to be crucified. And the pain that I go through for X, Y, and Z, whatever loss, whatever else, it's the greater good that comes out of it. And we forget that. Mm -hmm. Because we only look at our preconceived. Exactly. 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 You know, um, this really hit home for me when I was trying to grasp the the depth of God's love. And I remember one morning, God showed me a vision of my own son on the cross. Mm. And that... I wept and wept and wept, and I was like, God, there's just no way. There's no way. And he says, now you have an image of what I felt like when I had to put my own son on the cross. And that shocked me because I'm not putting my son on the cross for anybody. I'll just be real honest with you. I don't care, I don't care who you are. My son ain't going on the cross for nobody. He still wouldn't get put on the cross. I'm not, yeah, yeah, there have been times like, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not putting, I'm not putting, I'm not putting on the cross for anybody. But on top of that, here's, here's even the greater thing. And I thought about this and Jesus volunteered for that because scripture says who will we send and he said I'll go I'll go and I'm going to finish with this because here's the beauty of having a God when I talk about Jesus that's fully God and fully man Jesus knew from the foundation of the of the world he would have to go to the cross when he got to the Garden of Gethsemane, that man was in such anguish, he sweat drops of blood. And scientists say it's possible, but the anguish you got to be in to, to sweat drops of blood is an anxiety. None of us have ever hit that yet. And he's like, God, is there any other way? How human is that to get to that point 
and you're fully God and you know what you got to do, but you get to that point. And it's like every human being would feel that at that moment. God, I don't want to be filleted open like a fish. I don't want to be nailed to a cross. And I understand the glory that's waiting for me on the other side. But is there any other way? And scripture doesn't record that God says anything. But Jesus says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And scripture said, for the joy set before it. He endured the cross, scorning his shame. You get a revelation of that, that it'll change everything, everything. Lord, I just thank you for this day. I thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us on the cross. We could live five lifetimes and maybe never get the full depth of what the two of you had planned for us. But God, I am so glad. So glad that you did not leave us to our own. But Jesus and God, you loved us enough to put a plan in place that we could spend eternity with you. And not only eternity, it's not about eternity. It's about being in a relationship with a God that is so incredibly loving, so incredibly merciful, so incredibly graceful. What kind of love is this? God, only you can show that. Put that in our hearts today. Make it real for us today. Change our hearts and our minds the way that we think about you, about ourselves, about each other. And make us the people that you want us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.